Welcome to the 398th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. I almost feel like an imposter saying an endurance athlete after talking with the guest I have today for an interview. And we'll get into that, but I guess to further describe my lunacy, a few weeks ago, I watched a stranger from the internet, I guess I stalked a stranger, run the Badwater 135-mile ultramarathon. And I watched, and I watched, and I watched. And at 48 hours, 17 minutes, and 27 seconds, Bob Becker crossed the finish line. And the first thing he did was hug his pacers and then thank everyone. A most humble, humble finish in his, you know, bent-over state. And I will put a link to his finish video, uh, you know, in utter misery from back spasms. The first thing he did was thank his crew. So I'm honored to have Bob Becker on the podcast today. Just a little bit of background because he's not going to give you a whole lot on his own. Bob um, is currently 77 years young. He has run the Badwater accrued for the past 15 years. Badwater Ultra Marathon is the original race was to go on foot from the lowest point to the highest point in the contiguous 48 states during the hottest summer months. So it starts 282 feet below sea levels, the start at Badwater Basin, which is actually the lowest point in the entire Western Hemisphere, up to the summit of Mount Whitney, which is 14,505 feet. That is 146 miles. The Badwater 135 that was run this year goes to a mere 8,360 feet. Bob has completed the Badwater 146, where you finish the 135 and then climb to the top of Mount Whitney. He has also done that race and turned around and went all the way back down to the bottom at age 70. He has completed numerous ultra marathons, and we'll talk about this. He basically started running marathons and then skipped over everything else and went to 100-mile races. He's also a race director, currently directing two races uh, that I'll link in the show notes. And he's a fine, humble fellow. And, uh, you know, uh, as bad as he looked the day he finished the Badwater 135, the next day he was standing upright smiling for a post-race interview. So, you know, my hat's off to him. He's not plant-based. He is actually thinking about becoming plant-based. And he is uh, probably, as we speak, the recipient of a Jamie Delaney plant-based wellness cookbook. But recently he watched 40 uh, Forks Over Knives uh, and is thinking that that's the next, next step of his health journey. Bob was diagnosed with prostate cancer uh, all the way back in uh, the early 2000s. Um, he had a little surgery to take that out and then just kind of jumped right back in running 100-mile races. So um, he's not let prostate cancer get him down nor anything else. Uh, he is certainly an energizer bunny. So do I think you have to run 100-mile races at 77 to, you know, be fit? No, not necessarily. That's, that's Bob's thing. Um, of course, it may be very intrigued. Now I need to do it as well. Um, but the reason why I interviewed Bob is it tells you what is possible, uh, and, and there's no limits on the possibilities. 
uh, at it, and age is just a number uh, if you set your mind to it. We'll talk about some of his training. I have been following the Badwater Marathon since I knew what an ultra marathon was, and so there's lots of online message boards and the badwater.com site, um, you know, shows updated um, how the runners are doing each year. And of course, I get on the website and I look at the leaders, uh, you know, you follow your favorite, favorite leader runners. But then as a very close to approaching 60-year-old runner, I quickly go to see who's the oldest running this race and how are they doing. And so as I scrolled down the list, I saw Bod Becker's name. So I clicked on him and found out, interestingly, he was from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which I thought was very cool. So I stalked him some more. I found out at that time that there was actually eight or nine runners from Florida. And so I started tracking those runners as well as Harvey Lewis, who I've had on the podcast before, who actually got fourth place, third overall male, and uh, his fiance Kelly, Kelly Rocks. And then I started following Bob. And uh, Kelly and Bob were kind of neck and neck uh, for lots of the hours. Harvey finished, I believe, in 27 hours, and then it went on and on. And so I would go to work, and i click on to see where people were. And i come home, and i click to see where people were. And i sit down on the couch at the end of my day, and I'd see where people were. And again, 48 hours, 17 minutes, and 27 seconds, Bob crossed the finish line. So congratulations, Bob. And without further ado, here's my interview with Bob Becker, the ultra marathon legend. First of all, you know, I'd like to say congratulations and just a little introduction. Um, you know, stalking you like everybody does. Um, you started trying, you started with being the oldest person to do the Badwater 146. So it used to be um, a little longer than the 135 if you climb all the way to top of Mount Whitney, correct? Yeah, although that's never been an official thing. The race has always officially been 135. But, um, you know, in the very earliest days of the race, the idea was to go from the lowest point to the highest point, lowest to the highest. So people did go to the summit. Of course, then you have to come back down again. So technically it's 157, you know. But um, a number of years ago, people started, uh, for whatever reason, deciding that wasn't enough. They wanted to go back to Badwater Basin doing a double. So that was really my my uh, goal that, that year when I was 70. And um, part of that was just, yeah, being at least at that time, the oldest to summit um, to, to do the 146. I don't know if that's still the case or not. So, you know, you know just to kind of go back in time a little bit. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about this, my, my podcast and my, so I'm, I'm a cardiologist, internist. I have a wellness practice. Um, I'm a runner, triathlon person, um, recently ultras. And so this podcast is about health and wellness. And typically the audience, I believe, is probably a little on the older side, but it's what all things possible, what you can do. And in my practice, sometimes I hear, um, oh, I'm too old to do this. Or on the other hand, well, I used to do it, but now I'm too old. And you've been a lifelong athlete, so you're you're the you're the exception to so many different rules. You you were a runner in high school, college. Correct, yeah, in high school, 
and then played sports the rest of my life until yeah, I ran a little bit just to stay in shape, you know, kind of an adjunct to going to the gym. But I wasn't running races really. So, yeah. And did you start, I mean, did you do marathons and then transitioned into ultras or tell me a little bit about how that went? I, by the way, if I may interrupt, I wish you were located over here or vice versa because trying to find a physician, even, even a primary, never mind a cardiologist that under, really understands running and especially ultra running is a very hard thing to do. And uh, generally you're discouraged from doing these things and sometimes not so subtly. But in any event, uh, in 2002, I, I, we, my wife and I moved to Florida in 2000, early 2001. 2002, we get calls. I got a call from a friend of mine in Minneapolis who said, we're going to run a marathon. We're going to run grandma's. Why don't you come up and join us? And so for me, it was an excuse to see my buddies and party. So I went to a running store. I bought a pair of running shoes, said, what do I do now? And they connected me with a training group. And I trained, I trained hard. And um, I went up to grandma's, it was gonna be a one and done, but I actually qualified for Boston. So I said, well, I have to do that. So um, then I got involved with a kind of a faster group in town and did Boston and so on. And in 2004, one of them said to me one Saturday, have you ever heard of the Marathon de Saab? It's, it's an ultra marathon. And I said, what's an ultra marathon? I went home and checked <laughs> it out as I had no idea at that point. Came back the next week and I said, uh, Jared, aren't you turning 40 next April? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I'm turning 60. Why don't we give ourselves a, a birthday present and go run this race in the Sahara next April? And that's how it happened. Just totally by circumstance. And I fell in love with it and have been in love with, love with ultras ever since. So you just uh, basically, so two, two regular marathons and straight into ultras. And okay, so, you know, most people... So most people, you know, whether it's Ironman or, you know, you do a sprint, you do a Olympic, you do a half, a whole, you know, you do a marathon, you have 5K, 10K marathon, you know, 50K, you just went straight to what, what is the uh, Sobs? Is it over? It's over a hundred, isn't it? Uh, Badwater? Uh, the Sobs, Marathon de Sobs. Oh, marathon, yeah, it's about 150 to 60. Yeah. It's a yeah. stage race though. So yeah. you went, you went straight up. You didn't know, no training, uh, no, no breaking in it easy. Well, I don't have good sense, but I did have <laughs> enough sense to go to a, to a training run. Now the, the American liaison for Marathon de Salle is Jay Batchin and Jay and Lisa Smith Batchin are elite runners and trainers. And in fact, Lisa, Lisa coaches me to this day. So I went out to the Grand Tetons where they live and went and trained for Marathon de Salle at the foot of the master. So I didn't go without some preparations, put it that way. Okay. All right. But still, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big leap at six. It was a jump. Yeah. It was with two two marathons under your belt. And, and then um, one of the things that impressed me, you know, I've always asked, you know, the why of people do things and what motivates, obviously when you get into endurance events this long, um, a lot of it is between the years. I mean, certainly takes a lot of physical preparation, but the mental fortitude, the toughness, um, and there's usually a deeper meaning for people. Um, you did a couple things and we can, we can go through. You, you did one marathon in China where your father had been a fighter pilot. World War II, that's right. And, uh, and then you, you had a bout with prostate cancer. Yeah, um, actually I came back from Marathon to Saab in 05 and I had a fractured femur. Uh, <laughs> recovered from that then discovered I had prostate cancer. So I had... Uh, I had that yanked out and that took me a while to recover. And um, 
about three or four months later, I climbed Kilimanjaro with some friends and I that year ran my first actual 50 mile race out in the Tetons and then ran my first hundred miler in early 07. I just, you know, just, just got into it. But uh, so yeah, there were a few challenges along the way. Do you, I mean, did you put two and two together that um, running may actually help your cancer stay away or it was in spite of your cancer? I would say in spite of it, I didn't really make a, that kind of connection at all. Um, but I felt that they had, uh, that the, the surgery had completely removed it. I, didn't, I needed no follow-up uh, radiation or chemo. I mean, it was encapsulated and, and I went with that and I figured, okay, I'm recovered. Doc says I can do what I want to do. And, and uh, I was inspired to continue challenging myself with these crazy races. Well, um, yeah, when, yeah, when a doctor says you can do what you want to do, um, typically they probably don't ask that question, nor do probably, like you say, many doctors even know what an ultra marathon is. Most of the time in the doctor's lounge, I get, are you still running? And I say, yes, aren't your knees bad? My knees are bad. And it's like, I look at them and they're overweight. They're eating, they're eating you know, uh, eggs with cheese on them and they probably couldn't run to the parking lot. And it's like, no, my knees don't hurt. Um, and we have that conversation every time I walk into the- I actually, I actually was square with my urologist and told him what I had in mind. And he said, really, you're free to do whatever you feel you can do, so. Still, I don't figure he had any clue what that was. <laughs> that may be. That may be. You know, I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't think he has anything. Well, the good news <laughs> is, you know, I mean, in, in retrospect, uh, going back uh, almost 20 years, um, um, exercise actually decreases inflammatory proteins that cause cancer to grow. Um, it's one of the best anti-inflammatory things that you can do for yourself. So exercise is a huge part of cancer recovery and to prevent recurrences in people. Unfortunately, most oncologists don't talk about that, but you know, it really, it really is um, preventative. And, you know, when I, when I looked and read through things, I couldn't help, you know, I also, you know, uh, and this is a plant-based um, wellness podcast. And I know that, you know, you're not plant-based um, and, you know, I don't know, you know, you, you know, you're a, a thin kind of guy, you run a lot of miles. Um, I think that also, you know, goes to help um, as far as you're burning all that, you know, we think about disease being metabolic excess. So what do you do with the metabolic waste that we accumulate over our lifetimes? And typically it causes cell damage and which can turn into cancer and different things, heart disease, what have you, inflammatory. But Right. Running like you do, um, obviously, you don't have much metabolic waste. You're using just about everything you got. Yeah, and I'm uh, I, I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, but I'm I'm trending in that direction. And I I, I don't eat very very little red meat, and um, I eat a I eat a moderate diet, which for somebody who eats a totally plant based diet is an absurd thing to say. But um, you know, it is it is it is not as typical an American diet as most Americans, right? And I'm yeah, more and more leaning towards towards fruits and vegetables and away from from fat and um, anything that's going to damage and increase my cholesterol. So I'm starting to get smart in my old age. Have you have you uh, spoken to Harvey about it at all, or has he shared anything during uh, you know? Some... Not, not not specifically, but I've certainly heard him talk about it. And uh, you know, I've had other friends who 
uh, many other friends who are, are vegans and, and uh, you know, they, it, it works. It really does. They're able to get the necessary proteins and fats from that diet. And it's just a question of uh, changing up longstanding habits, you know, pizza is pretty attractive. You know what I mean? It, it is. Um, it's most of us weren't born that way. Uh, I grew up in West Virginia and I always tell my patients that I've probably eaten anything that they could imagine. Um, and, you know, but I also have a terrible family history. And one of the things that led me this way was um, that people, there's not a lot of longevity in my family, it led me to be a cardiologist and everything else. So that's, you know, kind of what opened my eyes. And since I've changed the practice, um, and we are a, a membership practice, and I see people all over the country, actually. Um, but um, I've seen so much health and people get better for the first time. The practice, we changed the practice in 2017. And for the first time in all those years since, you know, the early 90s, all of a sudden people are getting better. So there's certainly, certainly something to it. And from a, you know, running aspect, I tell most of my members, you're too old not to run. So we encourage, you know, whether you had a hip replacement, a knee replacement, or you've never ran before um, to go out and do it. And this past year, we had a 79 year old uh, guy could do his first marathon, um, an 86 year old do uh, a, one of many halves, um, right. you know, and a, a couple other people that have had heart disease and, and cancer, you know, start running. And, and they never thought, never in their lives that they think they were, would run and they feel so much better and so empowered by it uh, of, of the running. And I, and I think it's huge. It's huge for your mental aspect as well. So not only are you a runner and, you know, you've completed, you know, multiple, multiple races, you're much, much too, um, modest if all the races that you've completed but you you uh, you're a race director as well i am i turned my uh, my hobby into my work um in uh, 2008 i took a vow of poverty and became a race director <laughs> uh, yeah it was uh that was a whole interesting thing too it was again after marathon to sob and after a few races i said to this same group of running friends you know there aren't any ultras very few in florida nothing in south florida and um, I, I wondered if it might not be possible to create one in the Keys and run across all those beautiful islands. So five of us went down there in uh, April of 07 and ran from Key Largo to Key West. And um, we thought, you know, this could be, could work. So in 2008, around that time, the whole financial crisis was going on. And financially, I was in a mess and things kind of went away professionally for me. So. I finally said, you know what, uh, literally, I'm going to see if I can figure out how to do this, having no idea what I was getting into. And yeah, the first year we had 131 people that signed up for the race and saw how we got through it. And it was really a wonderful experience. And um, I've been doing that full time ever since and had created other races and so on. But uh, next May will be the 15th year for Keys. Uh, we had almost 1100 runners this year. I mean, it's become a big event. So um, and I love every part of it. I mean, it's, it's just an extension of my actual running. The, uh, the, the, the culture of ultra running, the, the camaraderie, the competitiveness, but mutual support at the same time that's so different from most other sports. Uh, all of those things I find extremely appealing. So uh, again, my hobby, my, my work, and my friendships. Uh, that's it's my life. 
It, uh, it's nice when it works out that way, right? Really, it really is. Um, we were attracted to the ultra running um, community. Uh, again, it is just such a welcoming, welcoming community, no matter what age you are or how fast or, or slow you are. Um, everybody's there to cheer you on and at the finish line. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a big, giant, long picnic. <laughs> Something like that. But it yeah. is a big, happy family in that respect. It is. So are you with the, do you man the race finish for the whole time down at the Keys? Uh, most of it, yeah. I've reached the point where I, I just can't stay up for, you know, 32 hours straight plus. So I wind up getting a little sleep. I can't be there the whole time. But I'm there most of the time. Uh, out on the course earlier as much as I can to thank volunteers and cheer people on. Um, but yeah, I'm at the finish line as much as I can be. One of the things that uh, I'd like to commend you on as well is when you finish the race, and, and I'll put a link to the Badwater video. Obviously, you had a dramatic finish, um, bear crawling, bent over. But the first thing you did in your uh, debilitated state, so to speak, was to thank the people that, that had paced you around. So, again, your graciousness uh, is just a role model for everyone as well. Um, thank you. And, uh, I, you know, I was really, we were really touched by that and inspired. And, you know, like I said, I, I never met you uh, 48 hours before the race started. And I was just cheering for you like, uh, you know, I had known you all my life. So, you know, if I, if I helped get a step up that hill, I hope I did, you know, because I was pulling for you the whole way. Jamie, thank you. You, you did, and so, so did everyone who was there. I mean, it reached the point where there were many reasons why I wasn't going to give up. And one of the many was... I couldn't disappoint all those people that were there cheering for me every step and stop along the way. <laughs> so, so one of your other marathons, you described having the lean and you see that if you've watched any ultra races, people come in, you know, especially towards the longer hours that people have the lean over. You were leaned forward and, and during the video, you would say, you know, when you stop, I don't know if you even remember, you'd say, stand me up and they kind of stand you up for, you know, a good five seconds and then you'd be kind of over again. What was, what were you feeling? Was it a complete lack of control in your low back? What do you think that was? Yeah, I think the back spasm started with about, what, about mile 90 roughly. So I had still a very long way to go and I, gradually started leaning over and it was weird because the the race you're referring to I think was my uh my Badwater 135 race finish the year I did the double so that was in I was 70 it was in 2015 and I was leaning over some to the right but not not all the way over like a like a professional question mark. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> and I would ask them to somewhat stand me up so I could actually see where I was going, how much further I had to go. Uh, because, you know, everybody's yelling, it's not much further. It's only a little. And I, what does that mean? You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I was just, and just to take, just to get a little relief, you know. So at that point, what, what happened over those miles was gradually, I just became less and less able to get upright. And then eventually my, my body just said, no mas, you know? So the last two, three miles, I could hardly move my legs and I'd move of, you know, 15, 20 steps and they, they, they literally would not move any longer. So I would stop and just kind of regroup, do another 15 or 20. I mean, it was, it was, it took, it took forever to get those last few miles in. And um, normally the climb from Lone Pine to the finish line, which is 13 miles takes me, you know, four and a half hours maybe. 
Well, this took um, almost seven hours, or maybe a little over seven hours, and it gives you an idea how slow it was. And again, the, the longer I was out there, the, the tougher it was. So when I was getting close, uh, and again, unable to move my legs very well, the race medical director, Dr. Megan Dell, happened to be alongside me. She wanted to be sure that she shouldn't pull me from the race and, and was assured I was lucid and I knew what I was doing and it was great. I said to her at one point, uh, just to break up the muscle movement, is it, can I crawl? Can I, can I get down on all fours? And she thought about it and said, well, the, the rule is you have to move on your own, under your own power. There's nothing that says you can't do that. So that's when I started to break it up a little bit by doing a bear crawl. And um, I actually, you know, at that point I was trying to do anything to distract myself. And one of the things that came to my mind was my old trainer, Jeff, would have been yelling at me about how lousy my form was on the, <laughs> during the bear crawl. He'd yell, get your ass down, you know. But anyway, it, uh, so, you know, a little of this and a little of that, and ultimately I made it. But all those people cheering me on was, I was just heartwarming and just very helpful, actually. Yeah, it, you know, I mean, it was, it was, you know, you could feel, I mean, it, you know, it was a amateur photography, but it was more real than any IMAX movie as far as you could feel the, the pain and everybody were just inching you, you know, to the, to the finish line. So from Florida to altitude, did you go out early or you just wing it and go? Oh, pretty much wing it and go. I mean, we're not, you're only going up to 8,500 feet and uh, you're at 5,000 feet a couple of other times. And that sort of altitude really doesn't bother me too much. Mm -hmm. I did go out a month before to run back to back 30 mile days just to have the, the, the hot heat, the dry heat experience. And on the second day it was climbing up town pass, which is the first 5,000 foot climb, which obviously I can't do here in flat South Florida. So I did get some good training in but I wasn't there long enough to uh, to acclimate to the to the altitude. And typically, again, I don't have a big problem with that. So uh, I, I didn't worry about it much other than the fact of climbing, which is hard to train for here. Right. That was that's my next question. You know, um, our little um, tiny overpass bridges don't do much. And so do you rely on strength training for your hilt to get in shape for the hills? Or again, you just do mileage and wing it? <laughs> well, I know it's a little more formal than that. And and. Lisa always has me on a very specific training program and has always had me ready on race day. But actually, uh, yeah, our, our bridge is a half a mile across and all of 75 feet above the water. And, you know, she assigns me to do 24 miles on the bridge. I'm back and forth 48 times until I'm brain dead, but that's my hill work. Mm -hmm. And I also uh, do a technique that she introduced me two years ago where I'm pulling a tire. So, you know, wearing a belt and a, a rope of 10 to 12 feet in length and a tire that's like an SUV tire that's flat on the ground, which creates resistance, it creates drag and somewhat emulates the idea of going uphill where you're pushing against gravity. So that's, that's a very important part of my training. And then I'll do some Stairmaster work in the gym. Those three things, uh, and if I can find a flight of stairs, that too, but mostly it's those three things. Nice, nice, yeah, I mean, it's, uh... We did the Leadville Marathon in June, and wow. um, you know, again, I, I I was giggling when you were telling me, you know, it's just a you know a few miles from the one, you know, the, the the half marathon because I just kept telling myself, well, it's only a half marathon to the top, and then you get to turn around and come back. Well, it's not entirely true because there's climbs in between, and it's you know, and the terrain is is much much different, and it took a lot longer that last three miles from the la aid station to the top. 
um, seemed like it, it took forever for us too. Is you know the you could see just the march of the soldiers up the switchbacks. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and and my, um, I guess the stupidity is the really the best description for it. You know, I my training was you know come back from some of my runs and get on the treadmill for a half mile and put it crank it up to the top and just run for a half a mile because I just assumed that the last three miles were the worst and how bad could it be? <laughs> it was. <And> that <laughs> mile did absolutely nothing for miles. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah. I actually ran a stage race called Trans Rockies, which is out there and which actually climbs across Hope Pass. And um, you're actually staying in Leadville for a couple of days. So I am familiar with uh, how tough it is and how beautiful it is at the same time. So beautiful race. Yeah. Um, the rocks, you know, I, I, I just, um, you know, when we, I couldn't descend, I just didn't have enough guts to descend on the rocks and, and let it go. I just kept thinking this is a head injury waiting to happen. And I, I still have to go to work on Monday, you know? <laughs> so it's like, but, uh, yeah, it was, of course, you know, we're already thinking about, you know, what can we do next? Um, right. we, we've done, um, some races. My daughter lives in Texas. And uh, so some of the Texas races, um, you know, we, that's kind of been our ultra location and people would be surprised, but it's fairly hilly and rocky out there as well. Uh, not near to the Colorado, but uh, you get, you can find your share of rocks in Texas if you want. Yeah. Depending on where you are. Well, my first hundred miler, which I've actually done three times was Rocky Raccoon, which is in Huntsville. Yes. Which is a great race. It's not overly hilly at all. It's uh, but it, it's hilly. Some has some hills and um, very cold at night, which I wasn't prepared for the first time at all. That's where I can tell you my literal shirt off the backstory where the, another runner took a layer off and gave it to me because I was freezing. One more reason to love ultra running in the ultra running community. But yeah, no, there are a lot of great races in Texas. And that's what I recommend, especially to a, to a newer ultra runner uh, because it's not overly technical. It's, uh, it's doable. It's a good race. Very good. Um, so, uh, you know, so you, you, you did the 70 you, at 77, you did Badwater 35, you, you missed the official cutoff, uh, to break the record. Um, uh, and I know you love Badwater. You've crewed for Badwater. Uh, you've done all kinds. Are you going to go back? Yes, but not to run it. I'll, um, I'll be on Chris's staff probably next year, but I've been there 15 years in a row and I love the, I love being there and being part of it. So and no, no reason to stop at this point. Will I ever try to run it again? Probably not. But hey, never said never, right? So, you uh, never know. are there are there other ultras on your plate coming up? Well, there are a couple. But first, I my back is still bothering me. I want to be sure I didn't do anything permanent, and I don't think I did. I just think it's uh, old muscles taking a little longer to heal than recover. But yeah, I um, next June I, I'm seriously considering a race called Six Days in the Dome, which is an in actually an indoor race. I'd like to shoot for the 48-hour age record. Uh, Tunnel Hill is a race in Illinois in November that I was 100 miles that I was going to do. I'm, I'm just not sure I'm going to be ready yet. So we'll see. But there, there are a few things on my plate. But I'll tell you, Jamie, more often than not, an, a running friend will say to me, um, you ever hear of such and such a race or I'm going to do such and such a race? And it sounds totally appealing. And I say, okay, I'll do that. So <laughs> I just don't have, I don't have a long, a long yeah. list. You know, you don't have it uh, right there, but you're just waiting for the right opportunity to come across. Exactly. And excitement. Uh, and so your um, 
you have the May race, and then when is the other ultra that you, uh, the... The new one is uh, Daytona 100, which is from Jacksonville to Daytona. This is actually the eighth year, but I'm, I'm just taking it over this year. And that's December 3rd. So I have a, the, the Keys race is the third Saturday in May, and then this one the first Saturday in December. So it's a nice balance. Keeps me, uh, keeps me out of trouble the whole year now. So this is, it's good. And how many, how many participants do you have in that usually? Well, traditionally, I think there've been a couple of hundred. I think we will have over three, probably three to 400 is my, what I'm shooting for. Hard to know because it's the first year, but the reaction I'm getting is it probably will be in that range. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. The race in the Keys also includes a relay race, which this one does not, so. Gotcha. Well, um, you can't talk me into the December 3rd because we have the California International Marathon that weekend. So I'm, I, I got out of that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure that, uh, and does the other one, do you, do you have, are there people limit, are there um, participant limitations the field closes at some, at some point? Well, yeah, actually this year for the first year, uh, we had to close the hundred mile individual race. We, we, we hit our limit, self-imposed limit, but hit it. Um, we generally hit our team limits every year, but the 50 mile and the 50 K generally are open and the hundred mile race, while it fills up, um, it doesn't fill up until towards the spring, till, towards the end. So uh, most people are able to get in. Very good, very good. All right, so, um... Other than, you know, so what would you tell um, people that, um, you know, is there, is there an age limit? No, there isn't an age limit. Oh, I think it's important that you, uh, you be age intelligent about what you're able to do because you said a little while ago that when you were running that um, Leadville Marathon and, and it was time to go downhill, you were, you know, you were careful about it and didn't want to didn't want to take a chance and hurt yourself. Well, maybe 20 years ago, you would have been more aggressive. I was 20 more 20 years ago. So you want to pick races that are um, more age appropriate, that aren't too, too technical and difficult. Um, you want to get into this stuff fairly gradually. I mean, what I did was somewhat foolish, but it was also a long time ago now. Um, and if you've never run before, I'm sure you tell your patients the same thing. Start walking, just start moving and gradually uh, work your way into running whatever distance it might be and mix running and walking. That's what I do in an ultra. I'm not running the entire time. I'm mixing it up. So um, all, it's all good. And, uh, but get off the sofa and move if you possibly can. It's the best thing you can do for yourself. Yes. Um, I, I heard a guy say, and I, I love the quote, motion is lotion. And uh, uh, that's I, great. I think, you know, um, I can say it to myself going down the street in the morning, you know, it's like, you know, once you get going, it, uh, uh, you, you kind of giggle. It takes a few more miles, but uh, you, you do get loose and it's uh, never, you know, don't, don't throw the tile in too, too early. Exactly. Exactly. And that's true during races too. When you start feeling a low point, take your time to recover. I, if I may, you had mentioned before how much of this is mental. And I don't know if you've ever had any contact with Ray Zahab, who's a Canadian ultra runner and kind of a world famous adventurer. And his favorite quote is that ultra running is 90% mental and the rest is in your head. So, <laughs> uh, and it's pretty much true. Well, I mean, I, I, um, I get, I was, we did our first 50 miler in uh, the spring and I was, you know, a little bit afraid of the distance and 
I heard somebody mention that, well, it doesn't hurt that much worse after the first marathon, after 25, you know, it kind of settles out. And so I kept, you know, I, I just kind of took solace in that, you know, it was from a middle of the pack type runner. And, you know, I was just kind of waiting to get to mile 26. And then when I got to mile 26, it's like, okay, you know, it's not going to get much worse than this. You know? And I, you know, and I think that it didn't seem to, you know, for that, that apart, that, you know, that particular distance, it was a flat course and, you know, we, we didn't go, we, um, you know, uh, fairly slow, but, but it wasn't that much worse. Of course, when we stopped, that's the other thing that I always, you know, do you sit down and get up? Are you stiff? I mean, Harvey stood, you know, that's the thing that amazes me about him. He'll sit down in a chair and get up like he's just, you know, not done anything. Do you get stiff if you sit down? Uh, a little bit. Yes. Um, well, he's extraordinary. I don't know what he's made of, but yeah, I mean, the next, the next day after running the race in 25 or 26 hours, he's just bobbing around Lone Pine. Like he, he you know, like he was on someone's crew, not running. He, he's, he's an amazing athlete. But, uh, so if you sit down, do you, I mean, you do during the race, I mean, did you take some breaks? Uh, um, yeah, I took a couple that I should have not taken quite so long, but I don't take a lot of breaks. But if I sit and then get up, it takes a few seconds, but then everybody, everything loosens up pretty quickly. Everything loosens up pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, I mean, when I first started running marathons, I, I actually tried to stay away from the house because I felt like I was a barn runner. You know, if I, if I saw the house, I wanted to come back to it, you know, so I was always afraid that, you know, that marathons, you know, sit down that I won't stand back up, you know, and that's... Um, um, but you know, and it just amazed me when I was watching him. It's like, how does he get up and move? You know, um, but he seems. Yeah, to it's it's pretty interesting. I, I'm pretty motivated when I'm, when I'm training, and I stick to my plan pretty much. So a lot of times, I'll uh, if it's a long run, I'll train here, not too far from where I live, my condo, and I'll use this as an aid station. So I will come back into the house to refresh in a bottle or grab some food and go right back out again. Um, now, I don't know if that was, that would have been the case years ago, but, you know, I'm pretty, again, pretty disciplined about what I need to accomplish that day. So I'm able to do it. So um, what kind of watch took you 41 hours, 48 hours? What kind of watch? Yes. Yeah, so what did you use for? for oh, as in like watch watch? Yes, watch watch. Yeah, yeah watch watch. Well, I have a Garmin that uh, won't last that long. It's an older Garmin. I think it's a 935. And I love the watch and it's comfortable. Um Actually, my crew chief volunteered to let me use his, which is uh, one of these solar-powered garments that'll go 60 hours. And I wore it for about, I think, maybe the first two or three miles and just felt uncomfortable. It was just just enough difference. I wasn't used to it. So I took mine off after a while, let him charge it up, put it on again later. And um, I was using this little, what's called a gym boss. It's a little timer thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first part of the race, I was doing a two two minute run, one minute walk. That was the sequence I was doing. So I really wasn't looking at the watch anyway, except to see what my pace was. And I was actually going a little too fast, but the gym boss kept me on pace in terms of run walk sequence. Um, so I don't rely on the watch as much as I might in a different type of race. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm at some point I'm gonna have to break down since so many of these watches now will go for the entire length of an ultra, which is great, so. Well, I did, I was, you know, doing a little bit of research um, and, you know, they do talk about, you know, the, the, the more solar power, the Phoenix and such, um, they're, they are heavier and people yeah. have made the comment and, and, you know, it's kind of funny. I always, we always tease with triathlon that, 
you know, people pay $500 for pedals that weigh 100 grams less, you know, but eat a pizza the night before, you know, and they've got well more than 100 grams they're carrying on the bike, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, when it comes down to moving your arm a million times back and forth over the course of 135 miles, you know, I can see where uh, you'd start to feel things a little bit, perhaps. You know, one of the people on my crew is a good friend. We've run Brazil together. She wears a Coros and, and swears by it. So Garmin isn't the only good brand out there. Yeah. Uh, there cool. are options. Cool. All right. And uh, feet, as far as, you know, I asked Harvey, you know, um, that's my, that was always used to my other fear as um, your feet hold up on these things pretty good. Generally speaking, the answer is yes. And if I can give you a little history. So uh, uh, four years ago, I think it was, I ran... Um, a race called a race for the ages. And, um, and I actually won that race. It was 230 miles. I didn't have a single blister. Wow. This time also running in the same brand and, and model of shoe, uh, something happened that never happens. My feet started blistering immediately. And I had blisters across the ball of my foot on both feet the entire time. And it, I was miserable the whole time. I mean, I had a, before the back ever started, that was the first challenge I had to work through. So the answer is a long one, but normally, no, I don't usually have blister issue, but I did this time and sometimes it just happens. One of the thing about bad water, again, it's so hot that, you know, heat and friction, it's, you know, you would think that, um, and then if people, if you use any ice or water or things like that, so it's, you know, it, it almost seems impossible not to get into some sort of foot issue, but. The last couple of times I ran bad water, I did not have blister issues. So it's not inevitable. Not never. But you're right. The heat factor certainly is a major, major thing. No question. Well, it certainly, uh, I do certainly appreciate you taking time to speak with me. And, uh, you know, it's uh, like I said, I, I had, a, I was just addicted to um, the, the feed, the bad water feed, watching you all come through and, and uh, you know, and then, and then watching the end. And it, again, it was like a suspense movie. You know, it's like, surely he's going to make the last 25 yards, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Wasn't sure either, Jamie. <laughs> well, I'm glad your back is feeling good, and uh, um, I'll have to get myself a tire and a rope, I guess. <laughs> it's and actually bring, really good training. And bring it to the office, and maybe I can. I can now. I can. Uh, we do a member. We do a wellness challenge every month. Um, my daughter actually is our dietitian, and, and she also is an exercise physiologist. And her husband's actually a strength coach. But we do uh, wellness exercise challenges every month for the members. So, um, you know, maybe I'll have to go get some tires. <laughs> uh, there's a service station not far from here, and they're very glad when I take them off their hands. So there you go. All right. Sounds good. Maybe I can get them imprinted, you know, so. It <laughs> Probably so. Well, thank, thank you very much. This was fun. Thank you for taking time uh, and good luck in the future. Maybe I'll see you uh, in the Keys someday. I hope so, or somewhere else out there. That would be a pleasure. Thanks, right. Doc. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Bob Becker as much as I did. I will link... To his races, if you want to go sign up for those ultra events, uh, December is Daytona, and then May is um, uh, across the Keys. I can't promise that I'll see you there. I can promise you I won't see you in December. Uh, we're doing the CIM 
marathon in December. Uh, the May might be, we have a lot of birthdays in May, so that might be my ticket uh, to not have to uh, go to the Keys. Who knows? But, you know, I, I just, um, it, it just all comes together. Um, I'm happy to report that, again, uh, Bob watched Forks Over Knives and is really thinking about becoming plant-based. Uh, I think that'll just add fuel to his running longevity. But when you look at blue, the blue zones and people that live well, uh, you know, into their hundreds, one of the things that they have are, are basically they're, they're Bob, right? They're, uh, he has a strong sense of purpose. He has taken something that he loves as a hobby, used it as his work, used it as his social life. Uh, I think with plant-based nutrition, sometimes that becomes a little more difficult for people and is a stumbling block because people lose their social friends uh, when they want to eat differently. So uh, another reason to go run ultras, you'll find more running friends. And then, uh, again, you know, he is socially connected uh, with his community through running. And uh, positive mental attitude, I think you'll agree with me that uh, he certainly uh, has a good attitude about life and um, doesn't dwell too much on what could be, um, just dwells on what needs to be done and uh, enjoys life and enjoys the moment. I think that's a, a beautiful thing to not worry so much about the future. Um, certainly don't dwell on the past, but enjoy the moment that we're in. Life's too short not to smell the roses every day. And certainly when it comes down to moving, he certainly moves a lot. So um, if you didn't listen to the part or you, you missed the part, you know, start out walking, walk, run, uh, but move and move a little bit more each day. Uh, and I'll add into it, eat more fruits and vegetables each day. And, you know, keep transitioning, keep your journey going in a forward, forward, um, in forward progress. Um, there's no age that you can't benefit from a plant-based diet. There's no age that you can't benefit from moving. So motion is lotion and fruits and vegetables are, are, are the key to a healthy, happy body. So again, I hope you enjoyed this running podcast, um, from a wellness standpoint and thank you again for listening. See you next time.